0: Last Sunday we and and over the last several weeks we've been uh, preaching from Paul's letter to the Philippians, and last Sunday we talked about um, themes of a life well lived. Like what is what is a good life? Um, in in the world, I think a lot of us and it's not entirely wrong is to say I want I want good things. I want to flourish. Um, sometimes that's interpreted as we want comfort. We want prosperity. And those things aren't, you know, antithetical um, to the good life. And yet, um, the the way of Christ is take up your cross and follow me. Um, and a well-lived life is one in which, um, whether we live or we die, um, as Paul says, Christ is honored through our words and through our actions, through our through our bodies. It, it is honored in, in us. And so a life well lived, I think, is a life of love, a life of love and following after Jesus, Um, no longer living for ourselves alone, but for him who died for us and took the form of a servant and died and was raised for our sake. And so Paul, when he talks about a good life, says to live is Christ, to die is gain. So again, whether we live or whether we die, may Christ be glorified in us. And that that is a joy because as Christ is in us, um, his love controls us, the, the, the fullness of life, not just life that's passing away, but eternal life becomes ours and transforms us. I mean, who wants to have just sort of a life? Um, I mean, I've been saying a lot of Alexander Schmemann stuff, but he talks about like from the moment we're sort of born, it sounds kind of morbid, but he's like, but we're starting to die. We're starting to de- decay. And we have things like refrigerators to keep things from decaying, but it is, it's a world that's passing away. Why would you want to just stay in that kind of life Wouldn't it be so much better to have eternal life and that life controlling us and transforming um, our lives and, and, and how we can live then because we have already died and we live um, eternally in kind of an already and not yet way. Um, This Sunday, Paul calls uh, the Philippians to join him in in that proclamation, which gets fuller and fuller and more detailed, gets more um, in calling the Philippians to join him in that life well-lived, the gospel life, that the love of Christ controls us and grows in us. And so we're going to be reflecting on that, um, not this morning, or not this afternoon, this morning, that's what we're going to reflect on. Um, I've talked about this before, but uh, part of my very formative upbringing of kind of elementary school was living in Tucson, Arizona, a very different place than, than Minnesota, um, although I still have the Minnesota thing going on. Um, but Tucson was a fun place um, to live as a kid, lots of places to explore in the desert, um, but it was a different place um, culturally. The church that we went to was was different. It was a, a free church, um, although there's still a lot of Swedes and Norwegians in that free church in particular. Um, I went to a, a Christian school, first Southern Christian school of Tucson, um, which is was a different cultural place. And I was growing up in the midst of lots of fears about um, the end times, which I think I've talked about before. Um, I had teachers that were not afraid of of making me afraid that the rapture would come, and I would be left behind. Um, Tucson has an Air Force base um, there. There's many military veterans. um, And so our church, my school, um, it just was a different, it was a different setting. Um, And I think in particular that uh, that influence of Air Force base, many military veterans within our church and within our school, it had a stronger patriotic identity, or at least it was more up, up front than than I've experienced here in Minnesota. Minnesota. So, you would stand um, for the flag, and people would show you the different ways in which you fold a flag, the different ways in which we express our patriotism. It was just a much more conscious identity because many of the men and some of the women had had sacrificed things and had um, served um, with others in defending our country. So it was a it was a stronger patriotic identity. Um, As I've read about um, Philippi, the the place where the Philippians um, lived, um, it's made me wonder if there wasn't a similar dynamic um, in Philippi, similar dynamics of patriotism that were there. Um, It was a Roman colony, and and it was a Roman colony that was made up, at least at different phases, different stages, by many retired veterans. there, were, uh, there was a battle of, of Philippi that had been about 100 years before this letter that was written, so those veterans were not still living, but that was part of the heritage of this, um, this city. And so there was a heritage within Rome, um, and I think in particular in Philippi, of citizen soldiers. And that, that could mean um, citizens, Roman citizens who became soldiers, that there was an obligation to, to serve Rome and the empire. Um, but there was an also a way in which uh, a subject of the Roman Empire could become a citizen um, by serving in, in the Roman army. Um, so Roman subjects were granted citizenship if they successfully avoided uh, death and all the different hardships of being a soldier after 25 years of service. And then Rome would settle them in these various um, colonies. And so that was, I think, a characteristic of Philippi. So that status as a Roman colony, that status as a colony that was in, in large part settled by, by veterans, I think gave it a stronger conscious identity of what it meant to be Roman, right? And there were probably people that had earned their, their citizenship and that was an important thing for them. Uh, for the Romans, um, their citizenship wasn't just a secular identity in the way that we might think of American citizenship or um, different you know, national um, identities. For Romans, citizenship meant um, respect for the empire and, and, by extension, the imperial cult, um, worship and allegiance to the em- emperor himself. And at this time, I think when the letter to the Philippians is being written, it's to the emperor Nero. Who's, who's heard of Nero before? Does he have a good reputation? No, no. He was the great-grandson um, of Augustus Caesar um, and he, he took very seriously, kind of to a maddening, mad effect, the fact that he was the son of a god. And so the, that imperial cult was something that was very um, strong at that time, with Nero being that son of god at, that, at the time. And so when um, the Apostle Paul is talking about manner of life, when he talks about that in our passage today, in this context, and even the word that he uses, is not just sort of like how you conduct yourself, but is talking about like a citizenship, like a way that you conduct yourself as a citizen. That's the, that's the, the kind of word that he's, he's using. In this Roman context, it's one of social and political and spiritual expression. It's not just sort of, are you a good neighbor, but are you like a good Roman or a good citizen of, of the empire? And so he's describing faithful citizenship. He's um, using, in that word, sort of triggering thoughts of civic virtues, um, ways that you manifest the kingdom that you're a part of. And so his use of that word is intentional, um, and it's subversive. Um, it's not just a neutral description of good behavior, um, but one with political connotations. Um, be a good citizen, but then the way Paul's using it is, is different. Not just be a good Roman citizen, be a good citizen of heaven. Because by using that, he's saying for Christians, you have a different kingdom. You have a different king. And he's highlighting that conflict between Caesar's authority and Christ's authority. That Jesus is Lord and Caesar is not. And that the citizenship that has preeminence for Christians is not of this earth, of things that are passing away, but of things that are eternal, heavenly citizenship. um, So that we might be in the world um, but not troubled by many of the the priorities and the fears of this world. We in the world, but not of the world. Now, Paul, as we know, he wasn't um, sort of indifferent, or uh, he, he he made he used his Roman citizenship. At times it wasn't that he um, rejected it in fact he he utilized it um, in order to spread the gospel he made claims even in Philippi when he'd been there before of his rights as a Roman citizen as you remember he's thrown into jail and then um, I think to really get the authorities shaking their boots he's like but I'm a Roman and they're like oh no no we have we have violated the rights of, of a citizen uh, but nevertheless Paul lived in a way that showed that Rome's claim of authority was not an absolute claim, that it had authority over all things. And so you could pray for the emperor, but you wouldn't pray to the emperor. You could pray for the emperor, you could seek the welfare of your neighbor, but not praying to him or um, doing things that are unlawful or dishonest for the sake of of, this, of being a citizen of Rome. Now, suffering would come through that conflict, um, through... Accepting that conflict between a heavenly manner of life, a heavenly kingdom, and a fleshly manner of life, or Roman citizenship. There would be marginalization and persecution. There'd be sacrifices, like choices of sacrifices to be made, and what is the priority. And Paul's circumstances itself, and as he talks about throughout this letter, are examples of that kind of suffering, where he was faced with those choices, and he said, I'm a citizen of heaven. And so in this letter, he's saying to the Philippians, you can expect the same, and, and as we have clues within the letter, they were already, in fact, um, suffering for the sake of the gospel. For us, um, we also um, are called to have a manner of life worthy of the gospel of Christ. because, And Paul says that uh, the suffering that we experience, the suffering, again, in, in choosing and having our uh, citizenship in heaven pre- um, preeminent, is... Um, the suffering that comes from that is actually sort of a gift showing that we are in Christ. That suffering is granted to us for the sake of Christ and for the sake of witness. It's a duty for us, um, as Paul showed, to say no to claims of other authorities that are unlawful and dishonest. That when Christians do that, suffering, suffering will come. It, it does come. But we can face it with the responsibility of being um, citizens of heaven. Um, And that we're suffering because we are showing that integrity of that we are part of that new kingdom to come uh, that is already and not yet. In the midst of that kind of suffering, in the midst of those kinds of sacrifices, it can feel like and seem like um, on the outside that the fleshly authorities, the things that are passing away are actually crushing us. That they have humiliated us, and that that's the end, and and we can see that that prime example in the cross, in which Jesus dies. It seems that that the kingdom is crushed, and yet that is the place of victory. Because as a heaven reality, suffering is granted to us for the sake of Christ, and so similarly, our sufferings are joined to that suffering of Christ who died, um, who died for us, but that his death was not the end or the final word. Um, in fact, this is where he was he was glorified through suffering. And Paul had those examples as well. Um, Paul's imprisonment itself, um, he says earlier in chapter one, "What has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. So he's seeing his his suffering as as a way that is it is for Christ and it is something that is showing the kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. Now granted, uh, that word of sort of the, a gift, so to speak, of, of suffering or something that is, is part of our citizenship of heaven doesn't mean that we should be passive to um, injustice or naively um, sort of stand in the way of harm. Um, I I read, a, I read a quote from someone this week where he said, "You know if you, if you punch me in the face or stab me in the back, I may forgive you because I'm a Christian, but you know don't hold it against me if i stand out of your reach <laughs> or out of your way um in the future and so that that is that's not the way of of christians to just be doormats um to na- naively stand in the way of harm and certainly not to to lead others into those positions um but we can respond to trials and adversity with with a righteous witness um not one that is aggressive towards our opponents or self-justifying but is one that We're asking God to be just um, and to execute his justice for us. Paul explains that this heavenly reality, um, the way of life, the the way that citizens of heaven show uh, the integrity of their citizenship is shown in several ways. Uh, First, he says, have the mind of Christ and be of one spirit in the midst of suffering. That's played out in things, um, having the mind of Christ as, as Christ himself suffers, we might suffer to love our enemies, to pray for those who persecute you. That as Jesus prayed from the cross, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Those uh, the, the bracelets, the what-would-Jesus-do bracelets, it's not going to answer every, every question for you, but it is a good um, practice to think, I want to have the mind of Christ, not the mind of my opponents, or certainly um, give uh, sort of quarter to the accuser to tell me how to be in the midst of this world. We're not to be frightened by our opponents, not argumentative in defense um, as Jesus or as Paul himself was that the mind of Christ is very different. It has a very different kind of defense and posture in the midst of, of, of opposition. It's not one of trying to just only get inside the head of our opponents and the way that they think about us, thinking of what are the ways that we might answer. It's kind of, that'd be a little bit like sort of digging through the prosecutor's trash. Um, and I think the likelihood is you're going to get the worst, um, the worst sort of attacks against you rather than, um, really trusting that uh, the Lord will give you an answer at the proper time. Those arguments that we have in our heads, um, either with other people, people who are opponents to us, are very, very un- unfruitful, right? I don't know if you've had that, rehearsing arguments or conflicts in your head, which just makes it worse and worse. And again, that gives our opponent, it gives the accuser himself, the enemy, enemy of our soul, an undeserved place um, in, in our decisions, in our counsel. That can be something that's disintegrating personally for us, as we're, you know, only condemning um, within us, and then disintegrating as well in community um, and communion with other people, thinking maybe that people are out to get us. Instead, um, we are to have the mind of Christ and the counsel of the Spirit um, to give us defense. Um, That the Holy Spirit will, we can trust that the Holy Spirit will give us the words to say and the answers in the moment, granting us peace in the midst of uncertainty and of conflict. And so that means um, that we can be people uh, who, you know, prepare and are prudent and have an answer, you know, a ready answer, um, but also recognize we can't we can't control everything that comes up, and we might have humility and steadfastness um, in the midst of, of accusation. That we can be strong and resilient people, but not stubborn people. And so those things that are that are that the world really can't put together: humility and steadfastness, strength, um, and not things that are stubborn. Those, those are the ways that the Spirit might lead us into those things that are paradoxical um, by, by other means. So first, again, have the mind of Christ and um, one Spirit, uh, the counsel of the Holy Spirit, in the midst of suffering. Second, Paul speaks of how we are to strive together, side by side. That as citizens, we, we have a... a an identity with, a fellowship with others who share the same citizenship. As citizens of heaven, as Christians, we're people to be pulling in the same direction um, in the fellowship of Christ's church, working in concert with each other. um, For, again, for the love of Christ is what controls us. It's sort of um, the love, love is sort of the bridle upon our tongue and the guide for our actions. Because, as Paul says, we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all that we might not live for ourselves, but for him who for our sake died and was raised. Now, just as um, civil citizens have, have rights um, and responsibilities to the kingdom, we also have those rights and responsibilities, um, not merely privileges as individuals, but responsibilities one to each other as uh, to our fellow citizens of heaven. So we work together. We help each other in bearing witness and bearing each other's burdens, not just leaving the person who is under attack to just you know, be on their own, but coming to the aid of those who need um, defense and encouragement. So we have the mind of Christ, we have the spirit in the midst of suffering, we strive together side by side. And I think not being frightened is the result of those, um, those first two qualities. That fleshly strategies are ones, again, that are looking around the margins. They can be motivated by fear. Thinking, um, how can I prepare myself for the most powerful attack of my opponent? And again, making our opponents more powerful than they are, giving them more um, authority um, that they is undeserved. Giving us suspicion that our neighbors um, or our fellow citizens of heaven can't be counted on, that we can only trust in ourselves. Those sorts of things, they result in meddling. They result in kind of triangulating um, within communities. So therefore, again, have the mind of Christ. Let the Spirit give you counsel. Strive together side by side so that you may not be frightened by any opponents. That love um, is what casts out fear. That love is what controls us. That the mind of Christ... The council of the Holy Spirit, the fellowship of the faithful are the things that form us in uh, in our heavenly citizen, citizenship. That those are the ways that we live, declaring that Jesus is Lord and Caesar is not. And that kind of unity and fellowship in the midst of, of suffering against, uh, of attack, is an amazing witness to the world because, again, in the flesh, people scatter, right? They're disintegrated. Um, as, pe- as people and disintegrated um, as communities within our world, which we, we see. We see fracturing within our communities and fracturing into um, different, um, different factions, different tribes. But the love of Christ is one that brings many disparate people together because we, again, have concluded that all have died and that we are in Jesus Christ. All these other things, all these other um, identities and affinities are made secondary to being citizens of heaven. And that kind of witness, that kind of example, is a witness to maybe even to our opponents. It might even get the attention of them as we trust in Christ's salvation, even um, to our apparent detriment. Again, where it seems like we're being humiliated, um, Christ is being exalted in us. Now, Paul and Timothy um, were men who showed, you know, they lived this out. They again introduce themselves at the start of this letter, not um, according to their exalted titles of apostle or Paul talking about all his credentials, which we learn about in other places. He's not afraid to to give correction to people according to the setting. But in this letter, he talks and they, they introduce themselves as servants of Christ Jesus. They're leaders who led by an example of service, not sacrificing others for a conflict that they weren't willing to engage in themselves. And they do this for the sake of Christ, who you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake, engaged in the same conflict you saw I am suffering, or have, and now hear that I still have. So Paul's saying, I'm I'm not asking you to do things that I'm not doing myself. We see that example of an integrity that's not just in words, but in actions within our gospel lesson and reading today. Again, as Jesus says, you know, who is the son who does the will of the father? Is it the one who says, yeah, I'll obey, but then doesn't, or the one who maybe rejects the word at first, but then eventually obeys? Of course, the son who did the will of his father was the one who labored in the vineyard, not the one who merely said he would and then didn't. <laughs> And so similarly for us, belief is not merely just assent or agreement to certain um, sort of propositions, but it is, um, it is lived out in obedience. That kind of Christlike an obedience is, a, is an encouragement, an exhortation to all the people around you. It's an encouragement to, um, to the one who taught, <laughs> taught you or led us. And that kind of encouragement of seeing others living with integrity is encouragement you know, up and down uh, the different socials and, and, and side to side throughout the social structures of the church. Young and old children and elders elders um, serving parents and, and back and forth. And that steadfastness of others, of encouraging one another is by engaging in the same conflict. It's an encouragement that God's kingdom again has come and is coming on earth as it is in heaven. It's a belief um, that's, again, not just lip service, but is embodied in service and suffering and engagement in that same conflict that we saw, that our leaders, um, we see, you know, reaching all the way back, Paul and above all Jesus had and still um, engaged in for our sake. When I think about um, examples of striving together side by side with one mind and one spirit, um, it may not have felt like that at the time, (laughs) but I, I think back about Church of the Redeemer's experience during the pandemic where we, were, we, we didn't always have the same mind and the same spirit in the moment, but we really sought to let the love of Christ control us. Um, that, that situation was not persecution per se. Um, that was something that everybody suffered um, under. All society was impacted, schools and businesses, um, although liquor stores, they didn't suffer um, in the midst of the pandemic. But we are people that have sought to seek the mind of Christ, to be controlled by one spirit in the midst of suffering, that in that situation there were lots of outside authorities, um, official authorities and unofficial authorities, claims and counterclaims, and yet we sought to be people who sought the mind of Christ together, not our individual preferences. And we're people who sought to strive together side by side, even if side by side it needed to be six feet or more, or or if our 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 sense of being close to each other was different from person to person, but we saw it as best as we could to be people who pulled in the same direction to work in concert, to people who be people who are humble and meek and patient and steadfast with the with each other, prioritizing walking together um, to just walking at our own pace. And we did. I mean i don't think it's being too creative to say we never did indeed stop meeting together um creatively sharing time with each other um at first when when there were sort of descriptions we should not be you know face to face, but we moved towards each other as mo- as much as we could as much as we as we possibly could leading um i think in our in our society many i think many churches leading in that way of how can we honor the emperor so to speak, and yet not you know be so subservient that we don't um, continue in being people who proclaim god's kingdom to come on earth as it is in heaven so we are people who shared presence with one another sharing the body of christ together as soon as we could it may seem um like the powers of of uh the earth or governments were humiliating us and exercising sort of unjust fleshly authority over us um, but there was a heavenly reality shown, and I, I was encouraged to share with my neighbors where they're like, oh, that's, that's really cool, like the ways in which people are coming together in the midst of a world that was fracturing and is more fractured still, I think, today. We did things that seem silly now. Um, it's very silly for me to see myself with a face shield baptizing somebody outside. Um, that, is an, that is an artifact <laughs> of time. But but it but it was but it was something that it was it um, it, it was seeking again that, that we would have the mind of Christ that the love of Christ would control us that whether we were right or wrong and we have to laugh like stupid Paul with your with your face with your face shield that those were things that that allowed us to love one another and be together and worship. Uh, yesterday I had a phone call with someone um, and we were talking about. Um, one of many right controversies within the universal church um, this one in particular women's ordination to the priesthood he wanted to kind of know my perspective on that um, and at the end uh, we kind of, we talked for a while and he's like it'll be interesting to see when this is all sorted out and uh, I said yeah <laughs> I was like I, I and we're, we're kind of laughing about that because it can seem like there are things that well if that's sorted out there will be something else or maybe the thing that we're thinking about is like how could that ever be sorted out um, yes perhaps that particular issue we just we pray that there are points of unity on those and many other points of controversy um, but paul's exhortation and this this passage from philippians i think it's going to have relevance for the rest of our lives right as a community and as an, and, an, and as individuals it wasn't just relevant to the Philippians and their relationship to the Emperor Nero, and perhaps their relationship to a, a city that had a very strong patriotic bend, that they weren't trusted as Roman citizens or they, they had marginalization because of who they are. But it is relevant in all circumstances of what it is to be people who are citizens of heaven in the world, in the midst of a world that is passing away, and other sort of claims of authority. It's relevant to us as Church the Redeemer in all the possible points of of division that we're aware of, maybe even within this room right now, or things to come, um, things in the present, things in the future. Let us have the same mind of Christ, one spirit, striving together for the sake of the gospel, that in all circumstances, in all times and places, may God's kingdom come and his will be done on earth today on earth as it is in heaven, that our words and our examples are declarations that Jesus is Lord and Caesar is not. And you might be thinking of those points of tension and difficulty in your middle school or high school, in your neighborhood, um, your workplace, your school, uh, future polling place, (laughs) the more as you're reading, uh, reading the news, maybe even around your own dinner table. But we have that um, the love of Christ casting out fear, that our manner of life might be worthy of the gospel of Christ, that we might say, I, I don't know about others, but I will stand firm in one spirit with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel in word and deed, not frightened, not mistrustful in anything by our opponents. Because it is, it is granted to us, it is a gift to us, that for the sake of Christ you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake and show his glory to the world. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.